podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Good boys and girls, two-footed podcast on Wednesday, the 1st of December, brought to you by EPLindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider that's a virtual privacy network, which allows you to go online, change your location and access things like American Netflix or BBC iPlayer for you UK expat wanting to watch your home channels. Also keeps your data safe while doing so, and that is, of course, the most important thing. Check out LibertyShield.com. Use the code EPL599. This code will be valid until the 31st of January, so you get two months of this one. EPL599, and it will discount a monthly software subscription bought on the Liberty Shield website by $599, which means you'll get your first 48 hours for free. And then your first month is only one quid. One quid for the first month. Then it reverts back to the $6.99. But you can log in and cancel at any time. You're not tied to any kind of contract. So EPL 599 to get your first month with Liberty Shield for one quid. No contract, no term. You can download straight away and get working immediately. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homework company located in Scotland but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk and do check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops, which you can find on Etsy. Again, new codes on those, RED10 on the Anfield Index shop and EPL10 on the EPL Index shop. Those will be valid until the end of May and get you 10% off at checkout. Right, folks, two games last night, and I have to say, it was an attritional experience to watch these games. These were horrible. Newcastle won, Norwich won. I said yesterday, Toon have to win this game. They have to win this game. This was must win for them. And Kieran Clark decided after nine minutes to get himself sent off. Brainless championship level stuff. You wouldn't even see it in the championship. That's insulting the championship. This was Sunday league level stuff from Kieran Clark. After a weak clearance hit Pookie, he allowed Pookie to run past him. And then rather than just try and track him and maybe put him off his shot and maybe rely on Martin Dubravka, who's a very good goalkeeper, to do his job, Clark decides to pull him back. Pookie ends up on the floor. And Clark is heading for an early bath after nine minutes. You need to win. And you're getting yourself sent off after nine minutes. Now, Kieran Clark shouldn't be playing for Newcastle anyway. He's not a Premier League caliber defender. He's never been good enough to play in the Premier League. How he continues to get a start for any Premier League club, especially one who need to improve their defense, 
is beyond me. Federico Fernandez isn't great, but he's better than Kieran Clark, and he sat on the bench last night. He came on for Ryan Fraser. And with 10 men, Newcastle, to be fair, did their best. They held their own, and then they went 1-0 up. There's a penalty awarded for handball off a set piece. Callum Wilson steps up. It is as bad a penalty as you're likely to see. And Tim Krul somehow manages to make an absolute hames of it and palms it up off the bar and into his own net. It's a centrally struck penalty that if he doesn't try and do the big, I'm going this way, oh no, I'm going the other way, nonsense. He saves comfortably. Doesn't just save it, he could catch it. He could, if he'd had a hat, he could have caught it in his hat. It's an appalling penalty, but it goes in and that's all that matters to Newcastle. They are 1-0 up at home, needing the victory. Would have been their first win of the season. But it wasn't to be. Timo Puki on 79 minutes. A great left-footed volley. There was a cross from the right that Dubravka didn't deal with very well. Giannolis picks it up. He crossed it back in. And Puki just rattles it home with his left foot. Great finish. Norwich deserved their point, And they could have gone on to win the game. Adam Aday missed a good chance. Pierre-Lise Malou missed a really good chance after capitalising on some sloppy, sloppy play by Fernandez, no, by Shar. I think it was Shar. Breaks in on the left-hand side, gets 1v1 with the keeper. Pookie has a little bit of a tantrum because he doesn't get the pullback. He's not really in a position to receive a pass because of the bodies that are in the box. Malou goes himself, and unfortunately for, Nor- for Norwich and himself, he doesn't score. Dubravka makes a really good save. 1-1, they... Newcastle remain bottom of the table. That's where they stand. Seven points from 14 games. Uh, 30 goals conceded, the worst in the division. 16 scored. Not terrible. Not terrible. There's a number of clubs with less. Uh, Wolves, Tottenham, Brighton, Everton have the same. Leeds have less. Southampton have less. Burnley and Norwich have less. So they're about middle of the pack. In terms of scoring goals, the problem is they just can't stop goals. And it's no surprise when you're playing people like Kieran Clark in Premier League games. Um, I have to say, I, I think Newcastle are, are, going, are going down. I mean, they're two points behind Burnley, but Burnley have two games in hand. Norwich have moved themselves up into 18th position. Now, again, Burnley have two games in hand. They're a point below them. Watford are three points ahead of them with a much superior goal difference and have a game in hand. But at least Norwich are giving themselves something of a fighting chance. And it's four games now unbeaten. Two wins, two draws. It's it's a pretty good run for Norwich, all things considered. Like if you look at how poor they were through the first... 10 games of the season. This is a really good turnaround for them. Whether or not they can keep it up, I have no idea. Dean Smith is a good manager, and he showed at Aston Villa he can keep a team in the Premier League against the odds. This is the longest unbeaten run that Norwich have had in the Premier League in their last two attempts at the Premier League, this one and the 1920 season, where they never managed more than two games without defeat. 
uh, and only did that twice, which will tell you just how difficult things were for Norwich that season. Um, you go back to their previous effort in the Premier League, which I think was the 15-16 season when they went down. Uh, that season they didn't manage four without defeat either. So this is a near historic run for Norwich City. And, um, you know, not to, not to slag them or take or take the mick too much, but it is just kind of funny uh, just how poor they have been in the Premier League over the years. If you look at the 13-14 season, uh, they went three without defeat. Uh, yeah, this is this is it. This is this could be their longest unbeaten run in the Premier League since 2012-13, when I would assume I would assume they had a four game. Yes, ah, there we go. Between week eight and seventeen of the 12-13 season, when they recorded a ten game unbeaten run, this is their longest unbeaten run since then. They did another four-game run later that season. So, yeah, you've got to go back to 12-13 under Chris Hewton to find Norwich having this length of an unbeaten run in the Premier League. They've had four cracks at it since. Um, so, maybe, maybe they can pull it off. Maybe they can pull it off. They'll need to go in January and find someone who can add goals to the team. They've got... Solid enough defenders. Now, the defence this season wasn't great under Daniel Farker, but they do have solid enough defenders. I still think Grant Hanley's a weak link. I thought he looked quite poor yesterday at moments. But Ben Gibson is decent. I, I quite like Brandon Williams. I think he's got a big future, and I really like Max Ahrens. Uh, Oma Bamadeli's quality. I think Quebec is quality, so they've got those two options to bring in. They've got a group of hard-working midfielders and some quality on the ball. They've got Good options in wide areas in the likes of Cantwell, Rashica, Solis. But the two strikers they have, Pookie and Sargent, they're hardworking, but they're not they're not going to score you enough goals at the Premier League level to keep you in the division. I do wonder if maybe they should look for a loan signing in January. Someone to come in and maybe get them eight to ten goals in the back half of the season. Now, who that would be... I genuinely don't know. You look in the Premier League, there's nobody really at Chelsea that they could afford the wages of. Same thing at City. Divock Origi, I, I don't know that he'd be guaranteeing you the goals, and Liverpool would probably prefer to sell him if he is to leave. West Ham don't have one. Maybe they could bring in an Eddie Nketiah from, Norwich, from, from Arsenal, rather, and hope that he can that he can catch fire and, and find a good level of form. That's probably, unless unless Leicester wanted to get Pats and Daka more regular minutes, Pats and Daka could be worth at least kicking the tyres on because he is a natural goal scorer. And Norwich do create some decent chances. So it might be worth Norwich picking up the phone, calling Leicester and asking about Daka until the end of the season. He won't be on huge wages. You might have to pay a loan fee, but you're not going to have a big commitment to him that if you do go down, that you're stuck with. 
So Pats and Daka might be the best option out there for them. Again, I don't know that Leicester would be open to it, but they might. And you won't know until you try. Failing that, try for Eddie and Ketia. Or young Balogun, maybe. One or the other. But that's what they need. They need someone to get them a few more goals. Because the rest of it is pretty decent. As for the tune, I mean, centre-backs have to be the priority. You need two. They probably need one in midfield as well. Um, and they need one up front. Jolington was given man of the match last night for basically running running around. This man put in a shift. He had to put in a shift. He's not very good. You paid £40 million for a guy who's not a number nine, and then you stuck him as a number nine for years. Now, he does suit playing off Wilson more. That does suit him a lot better. He is more similar to, say, a Josh King, who obviously Eddie Howe had at Bournemouth and did very well with. Now, this partnership of Wilson and Jolington does remind me of that Wilson and King partnership. So it's clear that Howe is trying to recreate some of what he had at Bournemouth. I think the decision to start Frazier last night made sense. His crossing ability, his ability to carry the ball, especially with Mankio behind him, that one did make sense to me. But then he had to take him off after nine minutes because Kieran Clark did Kieran Clark things. But they definitely need bodies in January. Now, there's a report in the uh, Telegraph today that they don't think they'll uh, have the director of football. And I think David Ornstein has already reported that. But that Nat Phillips could be a target. Um, Nat Phillips is the ideal defender for Newcastle if they're going into the championship. That's his level, is the championship. So 25 million, and he's absolutely yours. No problem. Let's move on. To the other game last night, Leeds won Crystal Palace nil. Leeds, I thought, were very good in this game. Now, it wasn't a tremendous game of football, but I did think Leeds were the better team. Uh, I thought Rafinha, in particular, looked excellent. Calvin Phillips really put in a show in midfield. I thought it was the quietest Conor Gallagher's look. He did have a couple of good moments, but I thought it was the quietest game he's had this season. I thought Phillips won that battle. Palace, after a poor performance against Villa at the weekend, were better yesterday, but not quite at the level they have been through the season. Christian Benteke missed an absolutely golden opportunity. A great Wilf Zaha cross. Benteke was pretty much unmarked at the back post. It's a simple header, and he managed to make a mess of it. Uh, Melier made a decent save at one point. That would have been an own. Uh, no, it would have been a... Maybe a Benteke goal or Edward. I can't remember which one. One of them got their foot to a, a ball and managed to knock it past him. But he managed to react and turn around and grab it off the line. Uh, but Leeds were definitely the better team. And they got their victory in the 94th minute. A Rafinha penalty uh, after a handball. They deserved the win. They did deserve the win. They were the better team. And it's a huge win for Leeds. It's only their third of the season, but it boosts them up the table a little bit now into 15th position. Admittedly, Southampton and Watford, who they've leapfrogged, do have games in hand. But it's five points between themselves 
and Norwich, who are currently in 18th with the same amount of games played. So two wins out of the last five, only one defeat in the last five. Leeds are slowly, slowly starting to turn this around. They will get Bamford back. They will get Robin Cock back. They will have a full-strength team soon enough. And that will be a big, big help. I mean, last night they've got Stuart Dallas at right back, who isn't a right back, and Pascal Struik at left back, who, again, isn't a left back. Uh, Adam Forshaw playing in midfield because of a lack of numbers. Once they get everybody back, Harrison has to come back in. I thought Dan James looked lively enough last night, I must say. Once Harrison comes back in, Ailing comes back in, Furpo hopefully will start to show what he's capable of. And Robin Cock comes back, plus Bamford, obviously. I think it is a decent enough team. They may want to go in January and bring in one more to strengthen, and particularly up front. You've got to find someone that can play if Bamford's not playing. Because Tyler Roberts is a talented player, but he's not a Premier League striker. He's not a Premier League striker by any stretch of the imagination. They could probably do it one more at the back as well. Given the injuries that Robin Cock has suffered, you don't really want to be relying on him. And you really don't want to have Liam Cooper in your team. He was poor again last night. Um, For Palace, I mean, this is season one of a rebuild. So it's not surprising that there are going to be hiccups along the way. They had the great start. You know, through the first 12 games, they only lost two. They were drawing too many games, but they were very, very competitive in every game. But there's still work to do on this squad. I mean, you'd ideally like to upgrade the goalkeeper. You'd like to, you definitely want to upgrade it right back. I think um, they could do it with some more depth at centre-back. Tompkins looked all at sea last night, but he hasn't played a whole bunch this season, so not massively surprising. I think they definitely need one in midfield. Koyate is playing well. Milivojevic is a good player. McCart is a good player, but they're all the wrong side of 30. Jeff Schlupp is a talented player, but he's not really a midfield player. He's more of a winger or a fullback. They've got loads of talent in attack. Eduard, Zaha, Ayu, Olise. You'd like to see maybe one more, but you know they've still got Benteke there, and he's done pretty well this season. And they do have Will Hughes an option in midfield. He came on last night, but he's working his way back from quite a while out with an injury. So one more in midfield, one more in attack, a right back and a goalkeeper. Now, the, the one more in midfield is a starter, the right back's a starter, and the goalkeeper's a starter. That's three starters. And then maybe two or three more squad players. But again, year one. They might make a move in January. They'll certainly do more business next summer. They will probably lose Gallagher next summer. Unless his form sort of evens out a bit and he has a dip. And then maybe his valuation drops and Palace might get to keep him. I hope that happens in a way. Because I'd really like to see him stay at Palace. But there's so much promise for this Palace team. I don't really understand Palace fans being upset about last night's result. Obviously you lost. It's disappointing to lose to a late goal. But this is the most exciting Crystal Palace team you've had in most of your lifetimes. And you've got two lads sitting on the bench last night, Olise and Ezzy, who are outstanding young players. 
who can come into this team and improve it further. And if they were playing a 4-2-3-1 with Eduard as the nine, Zaha behind him, Olise off the right, Eze off the left, and then Gallagher plus one in midfield, some sort of some holding midfielder, wouldn't that be really strong? Plus Gwehi and Anderson at centre-back? Wouldn't that be really strong? I like Mitchell at left back. They could do with some depth there as well, but you know that's kind of for down the road. You get that midfielder to go next to Gallagher, someone who can play as a holder, who's decent on the ball. You find that right back. Max Ahrens would be perfect. If they could find the money to get Max Ahrens, he'd be perfect. Now, he'll probably have more high-profile offers, but... You know, you never know. Be in the mix for it and get that goalkeeper. It's a shame they didn't get Livermento in the summer. If they'd have gotten him at right back, it would have just been carnage. Him and Elise developing together down that right side would have been absolute carnage. But a central midfielder, a right back, and a, and nothing against Gaeta. He's a good goalkeeper. I just think at his age... And in the modern game, you want someone who's a bit more well-rounded. He's a, a pure shot stopper, not the best with his feet. But they're not far away. Crystal Palace are not far away from having a really good team. A really good team, a top half team. And then a few depth pieces to boost the squad up so that you can maintain that. But if I'm a Palace fan right now, I'm excited about this. Yes, the defeat is is bad, and you know you've lost to a team that haven't been great this season. You lost to Villa, who haven't been great this season. But let's keep things in perspective here. Let's have a look at where you've been the last few years and, and what you've been the last twenty years. The utter dreck that you've put forward as football, the dinosaurs you've been managed by, the caliber of player you've had—none of it's close to this. Not even close to the calibre that we're seeing this year. So I do think Palace fans just need to take a step back, look at the bigger picture. And remember, it is year one of a rebuild. This is not the finished product by any means. This is year one. And there's a lot more to come from the players you have already. Gwehi's only 22. Eduard's 23. Ezzy's 22, Elise's 19 or 20, Mitchell's 22. It's a really young core that you've got here. And it's time to be really excited about this team, not to be getting frustrated by one or two bad results. If you want to stick with the 4-3-3, which is what Vieira has done this season, that's absolutely fine. And then you just rotate your four attackers into three positions, then you probably don't need to add one in that area, but you might need to add two in midfield. But couldn't you go and test the waters with Carney Chukwemeka in January, given he wants out of Villa, apparently? Could be another hugely talented player. A Tom Davies from Everton, a guy who stagnated in his development at Everton, but a very similar style of player to Conor Gallagher. You put those two either side of a holding midfielder, loads of energy, loads of dynamism, Still need the right back. You still need some depth. You still need the goalkeeper. But at the same time, you're not far away. So just 
hold the course and trust the process. Leeds, their fans have trusted the process. It's been an awful start for them. But you don't hear Leeds fans having doubts in Bielsa. Leeds fans will defend the players who got them up to the absolute end of time. And rightly so. I mean, I can criticise Liam Cooper because I'm not a Leeds fan. I don't owe him anything. Leeds fans do owe Liam Cooper a debt of gratitude and Luke Ayling and Stuart Dallas and Adam Forshaw and Matthias Glish and Tyler Roberts. They owe these guys. I don't, so I can criticise them. And I can look at them more objectively than Leeds fans can. I think Palace, I would rather be in Palace's situation now than Leeds' situation. And I say that while acknowledging that Rafinha and Calvin Phillips are the two best players between the two clubs. But neither of them are long for that club. Rafinha in particular, he's gone at the end of the season. He's far too good to not be in the Champions League. And I think Calvin Phillips will go as well. Because he's too good to not be in the Champions League. He's first choice for England. And with the way Jude Bellingham is developing, he needs to maintain a really high level to keep his spot in the team ahead of Bellingham. But the Phillips and Rice partnership is outstanding. And all we hear is Manchester United want Rice, Chelsea want Rice. Give me Calvin Phillips all day. Just as good defensively, a better passer of the ball, tougher in the tackle, more of a vocal leader. And Rice is a leader. Don't get me wrong, but Calvin Phillips is a really vocal leader. And Calvin Phillips is better going box to box. Now, Declan Rice is, I think, four years younger than Phillips or three years younger. So he may well outstrip Phillips by the time he's Phillips' current age. But for right now, Calvin Phillips is the one I'd want. So I say while acknowledging that Phillips and Rafinha are the two best players between the two clubs, I would rather have what Palace have than what Leeds have. I would rather have their group of players than the Leeds group of players. Because I know Leeds are going to lose the two best players. Palace may lose Gallagher, but they'll still have Eduard, they'll still have Zaha, they'll still have Ezi, they'll still have Elise, they still have Gwehi, they still have Anderson. And I think all of them start for Leeds United. I'm going to take a break. When we come back, we will look at the Premier League fixtures for tonight. We have six games on the slate tonight, so we'll get through them, and then we'll have a look at the gossip, and that will be us done. See you in a minute. Right, welcome back. So, uh, six games tonight. First up, we have 16th place Southampton playing host to 10th place Leicester City. Saints will be without Jack Stevens and Stuart Armstrong. Leicester will have no Wes Fafana, no Ricardo Pereira, no Yuri Tielemans, and no James Justin. So, at least three of them would-be starters. I would say all four of them are, are part of Leicester's best team because I think Justin, despite being a right-back, is also Leicester's best left-back. So you'd have to give Southampton the edge in terms of who's available and who's fit. 
Leicester are clearly the better team, though, and despite not having a particularly good season, they are still six points above the Saints in the league this year. Southampton have lost their last two, whereas Leicester won last time out, but have two defeats in their last five. Similar enough form, actually identical form across the last five games. Seven points from the last five games for both sides. Uh, Southampton this year have been better defensively than Leicester, only conceding 18, whereas Leicester have conceded 23. But Leicester have scored 20, whereas Saints have only scored 11. Southampton have struggled in front of goal. But I do think Broya, when he's played, has made a massive difference. I think he could cause Leicester some real problems. I'm going to go for the draw on this game. I think it'll be a score draw. I think it'll be a fun game of football. But I'll go 2-2. I think Saints will have some scars from previous games with Leicester. But at the same time, they won't have any fear of them because Ralph Hassan just doesn't allow that type of thing. They're going to they're gonna go out. They're going to play their style of football. Hopefully he reverts to the four box two and not that 3-4-3 three, three nonsense we saw at Anfield. If he goes to his normal formation, I think they can cause Leicester some trouble by running off the back of the midfield by taking advantage of the fact that if Leicester are playing with wing-backs, there will be space in behind and you can drag Daniel Amarty out into deep waters that he doesn't enjoy. Soyuncu also not the most comfortable in that back three. So I, I think Southampton will have some joy, but Leicester with that attack, Harvey Barnes, Jamie Vardy, Ian Acho playing well, Madison finding form, Daka as an option off the bench. I think they've got too much. Adam Ola-Luckman obviously got his first goal in the Premier League for Leicester uh, recently as well. So they've got much more options um, in the attacking phase. I'm interested to see how Samare and Ndidi continue to develop together because I do really like both. I think Ndidi's obviously basically the finished product at this point and Samara is kind of like the young apprentice. But I'll be interested to see how that midfield pairing does against the Saints midfield, which will be probably Ward-Prowse and Romeo. Although this could be the game to bring Diallo in, that aggression, that energy might be beneficial against the, the two Leicester boys. Uh, but yeah, it should be a good game. I'll go 2-2. Uh, Wolves against Burnley. These are the these are the 7.30 kickoffs, by the way. There's four of them. Wolves against Burnley at Molyneux. Wolves are currently 6th in the league. Burnley are 19th. Burnley have 9 points from 1 win and 6 draws. They've conceded 20 while scoring 14. Wolves have scored less goals. They've only scored 12, but they have only conceded 12 as well. They are 6 on 20 points with 6 wins and 2 draws. So, we know that Wolves have really turned their season around after that disappointing start where they were playing well but failing to score goals and failing to turn draws into wins or defeats into draws, they have bounced back and they've been much better in recent weeks under Bruno Lage. Um, They've taken eight points from their last five games. Burnley have taken six points from their last five games, which is a good turnaround for Burnley, all things considered. It is two-thirds of their points for the season. At Molyneux, you'd have to fancy Wolves to get the win. Their inability to score multiple goals in games is a little bit of a concern, though. And Burnley don't give up a ton of goals. At times, they can be a little bit lax, 
at times maybe just the pressure of all that comes with being Burnley and how they play can invite too much pressure. They won't have Tarkovsky or Ashley Westwood, both suspended for five yellow cards. Uh, Ashley Barnes is out with a, a tear in his thigh muscle. He's going to be out for quite a while, I would imagine. Um, Wolves, no Daniel Pedence. Ruben Neves suspended is a big blow. You'd imagine Den Donker comes into midfield there. Johnny Otto remains out the world's longest cruciate ligament recovery. Pedro Neto remains out. Mascara remains out. Hugo Bueno and Willie Bolly are out. Uh, Bolly, they don't expect back till at least January. Mascara, they said four to five months when his injury happened in September. So again, you're looking January, February. Neto, I don't think we'll see this side of Christmas either. I, I think you're probably looking February, March for him. There's been di- differing reports about what he actually did. Some people have said it's a patella tear, and if it is, that's that's a horrendous injury. Um, but we'll wait and see. He, he's been out, obviously, all season, and he has been a big miss because he's such a good player for them going forward. Neves will be the big blow tonight. He's been really good this season, finally starting to show his best form after a couple of years of stagnation under Nuno. I'd be confident in a Wolves win here. I don't think it will be the greatest game. Wolves do play some good football, but Burnley will try and spoil. I'll go 2-1 to Wolves. I'll back them to score two goals. With Tarkovsky, who's Burnley's best defender, missing, I and Westwood, who's a really important part in that midfield, they'll likely play Brownhill next to Cork. That's not as solid defensively because Brownhill's more attack-minded. So there's a bit of a gap there. And then, obviously, Nathan Collins is very talented, but he's still very young. He's not at Tarkovsky's level. So we'll go 2-1 to Wolves. Watford, currently in 17th, play table-topping Chelsea. Chelsea have had a couple of disappointing results of late. The draw with Burnley, the draw with Manchester United. But they're unbeaten in their last five. They're the only team in the league unbeaten in their last five. They've taken 11 points from the last 15. Top of the table, 30 points, 31 goals scored, only five conceded, which is very, very impressive. They've been really good, if at times underwhelming, in the league this season. Sometimes teams can park the bus and just frustrate them. I don't think Watford are one of those teams. Now, Watford have two wins in the last five alongside three defeats. Uh, 18 scored, which is impressive, but 24 conceded is the third worst in the division. They've got the worst group of centre-backs in the league. And I think Chelsea will take advantage of that tonight without getting too far into this game. I'm going to say 3-0 to Chelsea. Watford have a horrendous injury list at the minute. Itibo, he's out till the new year. Ben Foster out till the new year. Ken Seema out for another couple of weeks. Seralta out for another couple of weeks. He's probably the best centre-back of the club. Cook is probably out until the middle of the month. He's been very good since arriving. Uh, Emmanuel Dennis is expected to miss this game with a, with a foot injury. Adam Messina is a doubt. Quadro has been out all season. Uh, Ishmael Assar is likely out until at least January. And Nicholas Nkulu is out until at least January. 
So you've got your two best centre-backs and your two best attackers and at least two of your three best midfielders out all at once and your best goalkeeper. Whereas Chelsea, well, they have a few problems. No Kante. Uh, Reese James is a doubt, but should be fine. Um, Timo Werner is a doubt, but should be fine. Kovacic is out, and Ben Chilwell could be out for the season. Um, Jorginho is obviously a doubt as well, but he should be fine. James Werner and Jorginho are expected to play in this one. Kante, Kovacic, and Chilwell will miss out. You'd still imagine they'll have more than enough. I'll go 3-0 to Chelsea. I just can't see any result other than a Chelsea win, if I'm being honest. Moving on, the final 7.30 kickoff is West Ham against Brighton at the London Stadium. Obviously, West Ham have started the season very well, but they have lost their last two. Now, the last one was to City. That's fine. The defeat to Wolves, they'll be disappointed more in the performance than the actual result. But nine points from the last 15. Uh, 15 available, I should say. Um, 23 points overall. 24 goals scored. 16 conceded. One of only four clubs in the league with a positive goal differential, which is amazing, genuinely amazing to me, that there's only four clubs with a positive goal differential. Um, Brighton have not been in good form. Only three points from the last 15 available, no wins in those five games. Haven't won a Premier League game, in truth, since the middle of September. So they had the great start. And now things have gotten much tougher for them. The inability to score goals is becoming a bigger problem as weeks go by. Only 12 scored this season, 14 conceded. Defensively, they have been good, just can't score goals. And that costs them. It's the same thing that happened to them last season. Said they needed to get a striker in the summer. They didn't. No Elzate, no Danny Welbeck, both expected back after Christmas. Um, West Ham... No Cresswell, he's got a back injury, probably from when he slid into the goalpost and looked like he broke himself in half. And Ogbonna, probably done for the season. So you'd imagine Masawaka starts at left-back, the rest stays the same. Um, I'm going to go for the West Ham win at home. I think they should have enough to beat, uh, to beat Brighton. I think they should have enough. Uh, on then to the 8-15 kickoffs. We get Aston Villa versus Manchester City at Villa Park. This is the first really big test for Steven Gerrard. Uh, after five straight defeats under Dean Smith, Gerrard has won his first two games. Villa sit 13th on 16 points. Five wins and a draw from the 13 games. Uh, 18 goals scored, which isn't bad. 21 conceded isn't good. Fourth worst in the division, but, you know, Tyron Mings tax. Um, sorry, fifth worst in the division. I did forget Manchester United's appalling defence. Um, this is a big test for, for Gerrard. Big, big test of where he has this team at this point. Now, you don't expect them to get a result because it's Manchester City and you're Aston Villa. But at the same time, it's about the performance. If they lose this game 2-1, it's a close game. They'll take real heart from that. If they get absolutely walloped, then that sets them back. No Bertrand Traore. 
Uh, Trezeguet not expected to play, but he is back training. He's due to play for the under-23s this week. So he'll be back soon, which could be a big boost for them. They could do with some more help in wide areas. Uh, and Danny Ings, a bit of a small injury, allegedly, but, you know, might just be a tantrum because he got dropped. Um, City have... Pep called it a crisis. And to be fair, there's you know they've got players out. Ferran Torres is currently out. Americ Laporte is out. He's suspended. Uh, Jack Grealish is injured. Phil Foden is injured. De Bruyne has COVID. Um, Liam Delap is injured, and obviously there's there's someone suspended there as well. It's not the the massive you know rash of injuries that say Guardiola is pretending that it is. Um, which may just be an effort to get more money out of the, the owners or something. It's not that. I mean, you can still line up with Ederson in goal. Uh, Walker, Stones, Diaz, Canseo, which, if I'm not mistaken, is the defense that won you the title last year. Uh, so you've got that. You've still got Bernardo, Rodri, and Gundogan in midfield, which is about as good as a midfield as there is in European football. And up front, you can still go with Mares, Gabriel Jesus, and Raheem Sterling, which is a very good front line. So this is not an injury crisis. Uh, an injury crisis what Liverpool had last year when all the centre-backs got hurt. That's an injury crisis. This is just a little bit of a run of bad luck. But let's have a look at those players. Kevin De Bruyne, yeah, he would start. But Bernardo Silva will start instead of him. And Bernardo Silva's been your best player this season. Americ Laporte, yeah, he's been good this season. But John Stones was good last season. And you, Pep Guardiola, told us what a great defender he was. Yes, losing Phil Foden is a blow. But you still have Raheem Sterling to come into the team instead of him. Ferran Torres wasn't first choice before he got hurt anyway. And Jack Grealish has not been good since you signed him and you are better without him. And on that topic, Guardiola has come out and said, uh, Guardiola states, Jack Grealish has played better than he believes. There is not one game in which he did not show his quality. He has been good to very good in every game. Nonsense. Nonsense. So far, Jack Grealish in the games always played, plays good. This is not true. This is not true. This is Pep attempting to justify him wasting £100 million on a haircut. Um, City should win this game. There's no excuse for them not to win the game. They're in good form. They've taken 12 points from their last 15 available. Whereas Villa, six points. Now, Villa, back-to-back wins is impressive, but still. The golfing in quality here is huge. And City should win this game. So... I'll say 3-1 to City. Uh, and the final game then is the Merseyside Derby. Everton playing host to Liverpool at Goodison Park. Um, the Ev in dreadful form. Worst team in the league on current form. Four defeats and a draw from their last five. So one point from 15. Had the good start. Everyone got hurt. They've been bad since. They've scored 16 and conceded 20. Which, you know, scoring 16 when Calvert-Lewin's been out this long isn't dreadful. It's not good either. 
conceding 20, not particularly good, especially for a Rafa Benitez team, given he prides himself on setting up his defence. Uh, Liverpool have taken 10 points from their last 15 available draw with Brighton and the defeat to West Ham, uh, stopping a perfect run. 39 goals scored, most in the division. 11 goals conceded, third best in the division. A plus 28 goal differential is the best in the league. Uh, eight wins, four draws, which is where the concern comes from. They, they've dropped just a few too many points so far. Only the one defeat. Only Chelsea can match them in terms of um, number of defeats. But the number of draws has been Liverpool's kind of issue this, this season. Brighton, Brentford, their games they should have won. You don't mind draws with Chelsea and City, though the manner of those draws was a little bit disappointing. It's the other two that are a concern. Uh, Liverpool will go into this game with a couple of injuries. No Bobby Firmino, no Naby Keita, no Joe Gomez. They're all working their way back and hopefully will be back soon. Curtis Jones is out for an indefinite amount of time with an eye injury. Harvey Elliott is out longer term with the uh, the ankle fracture and dislocation. The Ev, uh, no Calvert-Lewin, no Yerry Mina, Mason Holgate suspended, Tom Davies injured, Andre Gomez injured, or Andre Gomes, I should say, injured. Um, you'd imagine they'll still have a strong enough team, but they will have to play Michael Keane, which is a weak link. They'll have Seamus Coleman at right back, Dini at left back, Godfrey the other centre back. Pickford in goal, Liverpool fans will all be hoping he does what he did at Anfield a few years ago and throws one in. Uh, they'll go Dukure, they'll go Alan, they'll go Damari Gray and Townsend wide, and then it's a question of Iwobi and Richarlison or Richarlison and Rondon. That's about the only question mark, I think, over the Everton team for tonight. As far as Liverpool go, I'd expect a fairly full-strength team. Um, Allison, Trent, Matip, Virgil, Robertson, Fabinho, Thiago. The third midfield position is the one where there's a question mark, but in all likelihood, Jordan Henderson starts, and then Salah, Jota, Mane up front. Liverpool should win this game, and they should win this game comfortably because they're good and Everton are not. Now, I know it's a derby. Liverpool have only one win win there in the last nine years to go with eight draws, which isn't ideal. But after what happened there last season with the injury to Van Dijk, the injury to Thiago, that torpedoed their season. If you want to trace back why Liverpool didn't challenge to retain the Premier League title, it started at Goodison Park when Virgil got hurt. And um, they lost Thiago for a couple of months as well. And they managed to get through for a couple of months. Fabinho was incredible at centre-back. But once he got hurt, the whole thing fell apart. Henderson went centre-back. It was an absolute disaster. And they finished the season playing two lads who'd struggle to get a game at any other Premier League club. One of whom is currently alone at a championship club and can't get a game. And the other one, they couldn't sell to a championship team last season. They'd probably get Premier League money from this season because people are stupid. But that's what they patched together. That's an injury crisis, Pep. And uh, they managed to creep into third position because, well, Chelsea had Lampard for half the season and Brendan Rodgers did Brendan Rodgers things and choked at the end of the season. Liverpool managed to get third in a miracle. That's probably Klopp's biggest achievement is getting third with Nat Phillips and Reese Williams at centre-back. But Liverpool should win this game. They owe Everton. They owe them big time for that for the 2-0 defeat that they suffered at Anfield last season, which brought to an end a very long run of Everton not winning at Anfield. Um, and a run that predated David Moyes, let alone the six managers or so that have come since. 
Liverpool or Everton. I expect a win. I expect a good game. I expect a 3-1 win. I'm going 3-1 to the Reds. And Everton fans, no offence, but you'll be crying yourself to sleep in the run-up to Christmas once again. Uh, We'll finish up with the gossip and be done for the day. Italy head coach and former Manchester City boss Roberto Mancini has emerged as a candidate to be appointed Manchester United manager next summer. Um, Would seem like a strange move in terms of, you know, the Ranić Avenue, but the guy's won a Premier League title. He's won Serie A titles. He knows how to win. He won the European Championships, obviously, with Italy in the summer. I have doubts that he would leave before the World Cup. But you never know. You never know. Barcelona have offered Manchester United the opportunities to sign Phil Coutinho. That is tripe. Real Madrid are optimistic about their chances of signing Antonio Rudiger. I hope they do, and I hope they pay him loads of money and then try and play him in a back four. Barcelona have total agreement in place to sign Manchester City and and Spain forward Ferran Torres, but hope City will lower their asking price. So they don't have total agreement in place at all, do they? This is just tripe. Chelsea and Liverpool are both eyeing a move for Barcelona and Uruguay defender Ronald Arejo. He's really good. Really, really good. And if either of them can get him, I think if Spurs have any cop on, they'll go and try and buy him. As you put him next to Romero and then go and find your left footer and all of a sudden your defence is going to be really good. Um, Ajax want to sign Tottenham and Netherlands forward Steven Bergwijn on loan. Would make sense. They tried to buy him before he went to Spurs. They've been keen on him for years. Flamengo and Barcelona, sorry, Flamengo and Brazil forward Gabriel Barbosa also known as Gabby Gold, wants a return to Europe with Arsenal, West Ham and Newcastle Keane on the 25-year-old who had spells at Inter Milan and Benfica. Yeah, the European spells didn't work very well for Gabby Gold last time around. Uh, he's more mature this time. He's definitely more well-rounded. He has been really, really good since returning to Flamengo. Um, he was great at, at Santos as a kid. Back-to-back seasons of 21 goals in 56 games. Inter bought him mid-season. He was doing well that season for Santos, but it went badly at Inter. They loaned him out almost straight away to Benfica at the end of that season. He had a disastrous time at Benfica. But since going back to Brazil, he scored for fun. 27 and 53, 43 in uh, 59, 27 and 43, and 33 in 43. He has um, he's been really impressive. He's won two Serie A titles in Brazil. He's won a Copa Libertadores. He's also been a beaten finalist in that competition. Um, he wouldn't be a bad signing. I don't know that he suits any of the teams mentioned stylistically. He could be a good option for West Ham. Would he be willing to go and sit on the bench, though? I don't know. But, yeah, a a talented player, no doubt. Uh, If you can get him at the right price, if you can get him on loan even, it would be worth doing. Chelsea have received a transfer boost with Juventus having pulled out of the running to sign Monaco's Orlien Chumeni. I don't know that they have, but given the investigation into their uh, transfers, maybe, maybe that's what the case is there. Manchester City have stepped up their efforts to extend the contract of Riyad Mahrez. 
Manchester City and England midfielder Jack Grealish says he hopes to return to former club Aston Villa one day and will not celebrate against the Midlands side when he faces them on Wednesday. Well, he's unlikely to face them. Um, and I don't know what he'd be celebrating because he, he does very little in games these days. Burnley will not allow James Tarkovsky to leave in January. There's some football insiders so will probably tripe. I have a hard time believing Burnley would turn down 15 to 20 million for a player who otherwise is leaving on a free in the summer. With that money, they could go and get McKenna or Worrell from Nottingham Forest, two defenders they've chased in the past. And they've got Nathan Collins in situ, so I think they will sell him if they get a good offer from Newcastle or West Ham. Brentford, Crystal Palace and Watford are all interested in signing Rangers 25-year-old midfielder Joe Arebo. He's a very good player. Um, is he Premier League calibre? Hard to know because the the level in Scotland is poor, but he's definitely one of, if not the best player in Scotland. And uh, I think he could be an interesting fit. Certainly at Palace, bit of a weird fit at Brentford. He should avoid Watford. Um, but, you know, he, he was at Charlton for a number of years, having played for, for Staines Towns and non-league. He's had a bit of a roundabout way into the game, but he's... He's really impressed since moving to Scotland. He was a good pickup by Gerard. Gavin Strachan has rejected an offer to become the manager of League Two Hartlepool to remain first team coach at Celtic. Again, this is Football Insider uh, citing sources, and those sources are, trust me, bro, I know what I'm talking about. And finally, Real Madrid manager Carlo Ancelotti says the club are not planning to make any signings during the January transfer window, but he's not ruled out the prospect of players leaving. So you'd imagine they're keeping their powder dry for the summer when they plan to go buck wild and bring in Mbappe and Haaland and whoever else they can get their grubby mitts on. That's me for today, folks. That's the show. Thank you as always. I will see you tomorrow. Take care of yourselves. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.